Good evening, guys, and welcome to tonight's um, Midweek Bible Study. Um, within the blink of an eye, it's 22nd March. I can't believe that we have about nine days more and we're entering to April. Um, well, we thank God for today. We are continuing our series on understanding the kingdom of God from Pablo's far. Before we do, let's start off with a word of prayer. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you tonight for an opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, who will lead us into all truth, guide us into all truth. We thank you for revelation and understanding that will come forth from this session. Above all, we thank you for transformation that will take place in our lives. We thank you that the word has with it its accompanying power to change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So before I, I move on to today's um, subject, I really want to try and iron out some kinks. Um, I've been thinking a lot. I don't feel like I did justice to the purpose of parables, why Jesus um, taught parables. And I really want to cover some grounds before we move on to today's study. Amen. So before that, it's important for us to define two words, the kingdom of God and then parables. What's a parable? A parable is a dark scene. It's a story, fiction or non-fiction. That means the story can be true or can be a figment of one's imagination to convey home a spiritual truth. In Jesus's case, he was trying to teach on the kingdom of God. That was his truth. That's the gospel. And for him to convey that message to his audience of the day, he had to do that in a form of a parable. And if you read the book of Matthew, especially the subject theme at hand is the kingdom of God. It does a word play with that and the kingdom of heaven. So wherever you see the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, it means the kingdom of God. And what's the kingdom of God? Like I have explained in times past, the kingdom of God is talking about culture. It's a way of life where God is king. That's a kingdom, it's a culture. And that was Jesus' message or gospel to the audience of his day. Amen. So go with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 42 to 44. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 to 44. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. Excuse me. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So what was the content of his preaching? The kingdom of God. Right here, you see that Jesus said that for this purpose I have been sent to preach the kingdom of God. So Apart from Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, which was his main mission, his next assignment was to preach the culture of heaven where God is king. That's why he was sent. And, and he was preaching this to Jewish people who were under the Roman Empire. And, and those, that's where colonialism comes from. The Jews at that time had adopted Roman culture they behave like Romans, spoke the, the Greek language. And, and Jesus was saying that just as you have adopted a culture, there is another culture called the kingdom of God. 
Every culture is unique or peculiar, depending on one language, attire, food, lifestyle, a whole lot of things, dance, everything talks about a culture. It's a way of life. A way of life distinctively marks you out as a different nationality. So we are able to tell different types of nationality by lifestyle. It's called culture, a way of life. You see someone who drinks tea. He drinks tea in the morning, drinks tea in the afternoon, drinks tea in the evening. The likelihood is that that person might be a British. You see someone that likes hot dogs and burgers and likes to wear sneakers and jeans. That person is likely an American. Likely. You know, so there, there are certain peculiar features that distinctly marks us out. And likewise, Jesus came to also talk about a different culture that would distinctly mark us out. And, and it shows in how we treat people when we are wronged. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 5. When people wrong you, don't apply the principle of an eye for an eye to for a tooth. Apply forgiveness, apply mercy. It talks about how we even relate with children, you know. Children are seen to be minor. Uh, children are seen to be people who don't have um, too much authority uh, or even respect. But Jesus respects their children. So let a little children come on to me. And as if you, if you behave like a child, you, are, you also, you, such is the kingdom of heaven for them. How you even relate with the down and out. How you relate with strangers. You know, Jewish people didn't relate well with people who were not Jews. Jesus came to change that. And that's why he had an audience with the Samaritan woman, the Syrophoenician woman, uh, the Roman centurion. He, he knew how to relate with people who were not of his kind. So all these things marked out Jesus. And this was what Jesus came to bring. It's called the kingdom of God, heaven's culture. Amen. And how did Jesus convey this message? He conveyed this message in word pictures or illustrations. And why did he do that? What was the purpose for his illustration? So now go with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. So I really want to tie up this loose end very well. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. So we are going to look at three scriptures on the purpose of parables. So Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. The second one will be Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 to 17. And the third one is in Luke. Amen. So we are looking at Mark. But when he was alone, now this was the time when Jesus had given the parable of the sower, and we will come to that story. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Least they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. So, why did Jesus teach in parables? This was his purpose. Jesus' teaching in parables was to further highlight the gross dullness of the hearts of the Jews, as prophesied in Isaiah 6 9. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. 
Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy. Isaiah met the Lord, and the Lord said something to Isaiah concerning the children of Israel. So look at verse 9. And God said, go and tell this people, that's the Jewish people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So Jesus was using this prophetic message of Isaiah, New Testament, so Jesus was quoting the scripture. He, he used parables to highlight the spiritual insensitivity of the Jews. Because uh, around this time, the Jewish people were dull-hearted. They were so far away spiritually from God and so disconnected that even a story became a mystery. So Jesus did not intentionally use parables to code his message, but the spiritual perception, the spiritual um, disposition of the people made it so. Are you understanding me? So even though a story that could lead them to understand the kingdom of God, they still couldn't get it because of their spiritual um, downness and how sp their spiritual irreceptivity. They were very disconnected from God. Even though they go to the synagogues, they were very disconnected from God. They were far away from God. And because of that, they couldn't even understand the parable. So Jesus' teaching of a parable just highlighted this issue. It highlighted how dull-hearted the Israelites was. It highlighted how heavy their ears were to God's word. It highlighted how blind their eyes were to God's word. The, 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 the preaching of parables just came to highlight the spiritual irreceptivity of the Jewish people. So Jesus ministering in parables highlighted that. These people are dull-hearted. They can't understand spiritual things. They are very disconnected. And Jesus also taught parables to insiders, the disciples. He said, to you, to you, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been made known. So he was also teaching it to the disciples so that the disciples will also make it plain after the ascension. Now we can look at references in Matthew 13, verse 10 to 17, and Luke 8, verse 9 to 10. But how do I know that Jesus made it plain to the disciples so that they will make it plain to their audience? Go with me to John chapter 16, verse 25. John chapter 16, verse 25. Now I'm going to read this in the easy translation. In fact, we will come to this scripture as we are doing our John series. I'm, reason, I'm reading this in the easy translation. I have spoken to you with words and stories that are like pictures, but there will be a time 
when I will not speak like that anymore. Instead, I'll speak clearly to you about the Father. So in, in this scripture that we just read, Jesus has given us the time period of parables. So we are in the cessation of parables. We don't need parables anymore because the Bible lets us know that Jesus is now speaking to us clearly about the Father. You see, like the Pastor Jessica just put there, these things are spoken to you in figurative language. It, we, we, the, the gospel will not come in a figurative language. It will not come in a parable. But this time it will be clear, as clear as day. And it will be plain. Because that period will pass. And there was a reason why the disciples had to be first-hand stewards of the mysteries of the kingdom of God so that they will be able to articulate it to the audience as clear as day. Do we all understand? So now, let's look at Matthew 13, verse 10 to 17, and Luke 8, verse 9 to 10, to talk more on the purpose of parables. Matthew chapter 13. So the disciples were going to be the stewards of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus led them in on the mysteries of the kingdom so that they will be able to make it plain to their audience. Amen. Because Jesus' heart is that everybody will receive the gospel. But how can you receive the gospel when you are spiritually irreceptive? It's not going to do you any good. It will rather do you more harm. Amen. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You see? Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears." lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So Jesus was talking to them about why it had to be coded. It had to be coded because of the spiritual irreceptivity of the Jews. And Jesus was saying that if you understand the kingdom, to whom more has been given, he will have in abundance. But to who who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So he's just talking about revelation here. Amen. So there's a reason why Jesus had to code the message. He didn't code the message because he didn't want them to be saved, but because of the spiritual dullness and the spiritual irreceptivity of the Jews. Do you understand? Now let's look at the last scripture in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke 
Luke chapter 8, verse 9 to 10. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And what was the parable at hand? The parable is the parable of the sower. All right, so it's the same in Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4. It was all the parable of the sower. And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Amen. So it's just given the same thing. Amen. Um, Jesus had to code his message and put it in stories and word pictures and illustrations because of the spiritual irreceptivity and the spiritual dullness of his audience. Amen. So now, are parables needed? Parables are no longer needed. And I just quoted the scripture, John 16, verse 25. The, the time for us coding our gospel message with word, pictures, stories, and illustrations have passed because now Jesus is speaking to us clearly about the Father. And as we have received, we relay that message to our audience, especially those who are unsaved. Amen. So now, why are we studying this? We are studying this not because we want to learn about parables per se. We are studying this because of the content in the parable, which is the kingdom of God. Amen. So we are focusing more on the coded message of Jesus and not the parable per se. I hope that's clear. Amen. So like we said, the parable is in four parts. And I learned this from an author called John B. Barry. If I went out preparing this message, I used a resource in addition to my preparation, a book written by John D. Barry. It's called Parables, Portraits of God's Kingdom in the Synoptic Gospels. And when we talk about the Synoptic Gospels, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he, he grouped the parable in four parts. And I've never seen that before. So I really like that. So I will take his group in so that it will help for easier assimilation. So the parable are in four parts. One, the kingdom takes root. Part two, the kingdom is present with us. Part three, the kingdom comes alive in us. Part four, the kingdom transforms our world. So now we are looking at part one, the kingdom takes root. And we've looked at the first parable, which has to do with new cloth, new wineskins. And this was the disciples asking Jesus, about the purpose of fasting, not really the not they would they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not fast? So they were asking about the practice, and also they were also asking about purpose. And Jesus didn't abrogate fasting. Fasting is needed, but he said that the purpose has changed. You don't put old wine in new wine skin. You don't put new wine in old wine skin. Old wine has to be in old wine skin. New wine has to be in new wine skin. So the whole, the whole um, illustration or the whole meat of the story is that for us to really get the kingdom of God rooted in our hearts is very important for us to be a student of the word of God so that we can rightly divide the word of truth as to know what is in the Old Testament from the New Testament. Don't practice mixture. Because when you practice mixture, you will never be able to get the full essence 
of the kingdom of God. Amen. So now we are moving on to part two. I started part two, which was lesson two. I'm sorry, not lesson two, which was the build that we didn't finish, but we are going to continue tonight. Amen. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, and Luke 6, verse 46 to 49. So now we are looking at lesson two. Lesson two is now the parable of the builder. Before that, who has any question or contribution? I will allow that before I move straight to our, our lesson for tonight. Is it clear? All right. Okay. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. I read, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock, but everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Amen. So now let's look at the second instance where this same parable is recorded. In Mark chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Now, like I have said in times past, anytime you are reading about, let's say, a story, a parable, a miracle that Jesus did, please try and find out whether it's recorded in the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke are synoptic Gospels. All right? So try and find out whether they are in the Gospels. If they are there, please try and read every instance where it is. So for example, the feeding of the 5,000. You'll find it in Matthew, you'll find it in Mark, you'll find it in Luke. But I think the popular rendition is John's. It will do you good to also read the Matthew, Mark, Luke account so that you can get the fuller picture of the whole story. It, it helps you to understand it better. But when you just read one part, you might not really get the full meaning of what Jesus is saying. Amen. So let's look at the second instance where the story is recorded. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. It starts like this. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. So you see some different weddings here. So in this parable, which is recorded in two different passages, Jesus compared our life to that of a builder. So what are we building our lives on? 
And what is the foundation? Amen. So this parable in two recordings also talks about the fruit of everybody. The fruit of everybody shows from the roots or the foundation that it is built on. We have to build the foundation of our lives on the rock. And the rock here stands for the word of God. We have to build our lives on something permanent, something strong, else our fruit will betray our confession. Many of us claim we are Christians, but our fruits are betraying our confession. Amen. So you can't feign your profession or confession of Christ for so long because the floods will come, the rains will come. And in Luke chapter 6, it talks about the stream. The streams will come. And when it comes, it will come to test your very foundation. Amen. But let's take a critical look at this story. Let's look at Matthew's account. Matthew's account starts from, therefore, I always say this, you don't start a statement with therefore. Therefore means for this reason or on this ground. So what is the Bible alluding to before it came to that conclusion? So for this ground, it's normally used to sort of conclude your statements. So for example, in math, there is a triangular sign which is called therefore. It means I'm bringing my whole working to a conclusion. That's why you use that. I remember school in Ghana, math, uh, I've not done math here. If, if you don't bring that triangular symbol, you are deducted for some reason. I don't know how it is here. Like I said, I've not done math. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, for us to understand it very well, we have to go to verse 21. Then we can get the full meaning of the picture of what Jesus was saying. So now it reads like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, where do you find the will of God, our Father? You find the will of God, our Father, in the word of God. The word of God and the will of God, our Father, are one. Do you get me? The will of God, our Father, is not a mystery. The will of God, our Father, is in the word of God. And what we have to know is that the word of God and the will of God, our Father, are one. Amen. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For this reason, that's the meaning of therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains descended and the floods came, the floods came, I'm sorry, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sun. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was his fall. 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these things that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So why did Jesus give us this parable? He gave us this parable to talk about people who claim to be Christians, but they are not practicing. They are not making a practice of their confession. They are not making a practice of their faith. Are you understanding me? And in the previous um, scriptures, it talks about fruits. A good tree cannot bear forth bad fruits, and a bad tree cannot bear forth good fruits. It can't. The fruit is as good as it's true. That's what made Jesus decide to tell the story. Amen. So our fruits are determined by our foundation. What are we building our lives on? That's the foundation. What you are building your life on is your foundation. And the fruit that comes out of you is determined by your foundation. Now let's look at Luke 6. 46. Luke says 46 is interesting. Luke says starts with a conjunction, but it says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do things which I say? That's a question. We never start a statement with but. Okay, so we have to look at what Luke meant by that. So for us to understand Luke's version, let's start from verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruits, nor does a bad tree bear good fruits. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a, bam a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Then it starts with, but why do you call me Lord? And do not do the things which I say. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep lay the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the streams beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. 49. But he who had ended nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Same thing. Jesus is talking about when we don't make practice of our confession. When we don't make practice, we are like people who do not have a foundation. But when we make practice of our confession, when we are obedient to the word of God, we are likened to a man that builds his house on the foundation of the rock. So our, our, our lives built on the rock or on sand, 
And when we are talking about sand, we are talking about things that don't have eternal value. Now, there are some clues to note if you are not built on the rock. You know that your life is, is built on sand when you don't do things you see. Your profession is in vain. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You see, the Jews that he was talking to were very religious people. Their spiritual condition was they were very dull-hearted. Their ears were heavy. Their eyes were closed to the mysteries and to the truths of God's word. They were in a, in a very far place. They were disconnected from God. Yet they were religious. They go to temple every Sabbath. But they did not make a practice of their confession. When we don't make a practice of our confession, we are building on sand. It doesn't care how much you've gone to church. You may have gone to church since the 20th century. You know, we came into the 21st century, 2000. You may have started going to church before 2000. It doesn't, it doesn't, going to church for a long time doesn't mean you are a Christian. Reading your Bible even doesn't mean you're a Christian because the Pharisees were learned. They knew the Bible. They were astute teachers of the law. Yet they didn't make a practice of their profession. They didn't make a practice of their confession. So they were building on sand. You build on sand when you don't do the things you see. Christ had a problem with it. And Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. If he had a problem with it during the days of the Jews, he still has a problem with it now. You can't call yourself a Christian and think profession and fake your confession. It's not about, oh, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my Lord. Like this award ceremony. They always thank God. I want to thank God. <laughs> I, want, I want to thank God. Sometimes, do their lives really correspond to their confession? So, we know that your life is built on sand when you don't do the things you say. Your profession is in vain. Number two, we know that your life is built on sand when the fruit is not correspondent with your confession. How can you claim you are a Christian Yet, the fruit that is coming out of you is not correspondent with your confession. Your life is built on sand. So for some of us, our fruits will betray our confession. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Pastor Soso and so is my pastor. I give tithes, but your fruit is betraying your confession. Your life is built on sand. Your life is built on sand. Jesus once told the Jew, the, the, the Pharisees, you guys, you worship me with your lips. Your hearts are far away from me. For some of us, our Christianity has just been reduced to lip service. We can sing how I love you, Lord, but we are not giving birth to the accompanying fruits. Not giving birth to the accompanying fruits. We can't forgive we gossip, we hate people, we lie, and yet we say we are Christians. Now, God is not expecting a perfect man. It can't be perfect. 
We are not flawless. We are all flawed because of this body of flesh. We are flawed. But a matured Christian is not a sinless one. A matured Christian is someone who is making efforts day by day, relying on the power of the Spirit to get it right one day at a time. Yes, you may fall today, but you rise, rely on the grace of God, and keep moving, exert some efforts, rely on the Holy Ghost, trying to make it one day at a time, to conform to the image of Christ. That's a mature Christian, not a sinless one. We don't have, we don't have a, a, a sinlessly and flawless perfection. We don't have that. The only time we will become sinless and flawless is when these bodies drop. And 1 Corinthians 15 details that this body will drop, this body of corruption, this body of mortality will drop. But as far as we are clothed in this corrupt and mortal body, we will still continue to struggle with sin. Howbeit, we should not bow to that. Amen. Number three. We know that your life is built on sand without the principles of God's word, which is the foundation. What is your life built on? What is the foundation? Is it built on God's word? Is it built on the principles of God's word? Luke says 49 gave us a perfect example. In the, in the Matthew's rendering, it says that if you hear the sayings of Christ and do not do them, you are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. But in Luke's account, in chapter 6, verse 49 specifically, it says that um, if you hear and do nothing, you are like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation. It didn't even say sand. You built on the earth without a foundation. So we know that your life is built on sand when you don't have the principles of God's word, which will be your undergirding and your foundation. Today, you'll see Christians who believe in strange doctrines, strange things. And the Bible warns us against that, you know. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That we should be very careful what we falsely call knowledge. Guard yourselves against what is falsely called knowledge. Today, you see people believing in strange things, strange things. you see a Christian who believes in same-sex marriage. And when I say that, uh, look, I am not homophobic. Homophobia is when you attack someone's sexual orientation because of who they are. You know, we don't believe in that. We don't believe it. We have to separate that. Christian, you don't practice that. If someone decides to become a home, we love him. We love him. We extend the love of Christ to him and everything. We don't attack him. We don't treat him like a leper. We love on him. I work with people in my workplace who are homosexual. I treat them the same as I would treat anybody else. I don't, they don't sense any, they sense love. But if they should ask me the word of God, I'll tell them the truth. I live in sin. If you want to repent, but that's fine. But you see Christians who believe in that. But your, your life is built on sand. Or is built without foundation. You will see Christians today who believe in cohabitation. 
A lot of Christians today are not married. A lot. And they say we are Christians. No marriage. But they are cohabiting. Because when your life is built without foundation, that's what happens. A lot of Christians even want to justify smoking, want to justify being drunk, want to justify doing things because you are not guided by the ever-abiding principles of God's word, which can become a foundation. See, too many strange doctrines, too many strange philosophies. Paul once said something in Colossians 2. He said, don't let anybody deceive you with vain philosophies. Too many of that. Too many of that. Because when your life is built on sand, that is all that you will be susceptible to. It will come in the form of knowledge as God's word, but it's truly not God's word if you take a close look at it through the lens of the Spirit. So I pray that may we be circumspect in what we call knowledge. Because it abounds a lot. So the other I have to do is that watch Facebook. So many, so many people who profess I'm a Christian or a pastor, and they are just given knowledge which appears to be pseudo or false. Amen. We know that your life is built on sand through your response to crisis. Luke's version tells us the stream will come and it will beat vehemently on the house without foundation. The thing you have to know is that it, whether you're a Christian or not, rains will come, storms will come, the wind will blow, the streams will come, but it will all show in your foundation. When your life is built on sand, it shows through your response to crisis. When your life is built on the foundation of the rock of God's word, it also shows in your response to crisis. Look at what has happened. After three years, people are still recovering. When I'm talking about recovering, I'm talking about church members. Once upon a time, there was an epidemic in London in the 18th century, and Charles Spurgeon he preached every day. Legend has it that he preached every day for 365 days. He preached every day in London Metropolitan Tabernacle. His church is somewhere there. And, and, and it's still, it's still, if you go to London, you'll see the church. And he said, this, pan, this epidemic, the Black Plague, thank you, this epidemic has not come to um, kill us. It just came to reveal us. And likewise, this pandemic, it came to reveal us. It came to reveal whether we are built on the foundation of the rock of God's word or we are built on sand. And it is so sad and unfortunate that many people who profess to be Christians, they built their lives on sand. That's why even, you know, things have been lifted up. Going to, you still see people struggling to go to church and not even struggling to go to church, but people who have, who have, um, what's the word I want to use? It's a Bible word I want to use. 
they have made shipwreck of their faith. Many, many believers have made shipwreck of their faith. Many couldn't stand. They, they, they couldn't respond well during the crisis because they didn't build their foundation on the principles of God's word. So everything fell down flat. Everything fell down flat. So four things we have to note. Your life is built on sand when you don't do the things you say. Your life is built on sand when your fruit is not correspondent with your confession. Your life is built on sand without the principles of God's word, which is a foundation. Your life is built on sand through your response to crisis. Amen. So from this scripture, the only way to experience the kingdom of God, or what we call the culture of heaven, or the culture of, of the kingdom where God is king over our lives, is to build our life on the principles of God's word. The word of God has to take root in us. So how do we do that? Let me run through this seven real quick, and then we pray. One, have a Bible. It's a shock that many Christians don't have a Bible. Have a Bible. Today, you can even refuse not to have the hard copy. You can get the software and download it. And you will see someone who says, I'm a Christian, but he doesn't even have the software on his tablet, either your iPad or smartphone. Have a Bible. Have a Bible. Number two, read the Bible in a systematic fashion. Have a plan when reading. You know, sometimes people struggle like, oh, I want to read the Bible, but how do I read it? Get, get a devotional. There are many online devotionals, many, many online devotionals. There are devotionals that they sell in hard copies, you know. I don't know where they sell some of these things nowadays because I have not used them in so long. But I know you can check some libraries, maybe some online libraries. Uh, I don't know. There used to be Family Christian store, but I think now all of them are closed now. They are out of business due to the online and the software Bibles, the things now. Uh, so you can look at some of these things. Devotionals can help a lot. Uh, doing topical study can help. It can help you. Christianbook.com, it's, it's one of them. So Pastor Jessica just put that there. Uh, you can do a word study. You can decide, I want to study on joy and then look at the various references to it. Reading books of the Bible to help. It helps you to read the Bible systematically. Amen. Currently, my devotional is a book of the Bible. I've decided to read certain books of the Bible and that's what I'm using for my devotional. Amen. So be systematic in your reading. It helps you understand the Bible. Amen. Number three, have time for Bible study through study aids. There are many that they are even free. Many years ago, they were not free. Before 2008, Bible study aids were not free. You have to buy every one of them. I remember I bought a lot, you know. And God, I don't have many of these things with me now. Now, everything I do is online. There are many things. Logos Bible helps. Logos Bible app, Blue Letter Bible, Takata, uh, Glow Bible. There are many. There are there are a lot of good Bible apps. You can you can download any of these things, and it will show you how to use it. You know, um, the average Christian feels very nervous reading or studying the Bible because they have this feeling that oh, 
It's pastors that are supposed to study. No, every believer has to study the Bible. Every believer has to study the Bible. Every believer has to know how to preach. Every believer has to know how to teach. Every believer has to know how to preach because that is how you witness to people. Every believer must know how to teach because that's how you disciple people. And you do this not because you are going to be a pastor. You do this because you are a believer. That's all. Amen. So we all have to learn how to do that. So there are many Bible apps that can help. It can aid in doing that. Number four, believe God for the faith to put into practice what you read. James 1 verse 21 to 27. I probably might touch on this scripture next week before we, we, we go into our next lesson. Number five, always rely on the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, for understanding truth and revelation of God's word. The Bible is not a historical book. The Bible is not a cultural book per se. The Bible is a spiritual book written by the Holy Spirit. So you need the Spirit's guidance. You need the Spirit's revelation to really be able to fully understand um, this book. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 to 21. It gives authorship, the credit of authorship to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number six, listening to godly messages from seasoned preachers can help a great deal in understanding the Bible. Thank God for preachers. You know, we can listen to many, many good preachers. Thank God there are many good preachers. Many good preachers. You can just listen to them. How do you know they are good? They are good because you check with the scripture. That's how you know. Amen. First John chapter 2, verse 24 to 27. Let me read this one. Even though I know I'm out of time. First John chapter 2. There are many, many good teachers. There are so many false teachers. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true and it's not a lie, just as that's taught you, you are abiding him. So what is this scripture talking about? It, it doesn't, when it says that you have an anointing which you, you abides in you, and you do not need another one to teach you, it doesn't mean you shouldn't come to church to be taught. This is talking about you will not be deceived because of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. He will teach you what is true from false. Are you understanding me? So I'm reading this scripture for us to know that listen to seasoned teachers, but also listen to the Holy Spirit who is the anointed, who will teach you all things. He'll be able to tell you that this is false, this is true. Follow the Holy Spirit. Amen. But listen, listen to godly men of God, you know, seasoned teachers of God's word, and, and to understand the Bible. You can listen to our presiding bishop, as a example, great man of God. Uh, I think when you listen to him, you will get to know what is the word of God very well. There are also many, many good resources out there that you can listen to. Number seven, reading good books also help in understanding the Bible. Amen. Solomon once said something, in order I get in, get understanding, get understanding. And sometimes understanding can be gotten from books. Amen. So... This is how you will build your foundation on the rock of God's word. Amen. 
I'm done for tonight. Any question, any contribution will be welcome in the next three minutes. I, uh, the explanation today was a lot more broken down. Um, I feel like I really got a lot more this evening um, from everything. It was very well explained. Um, I like this last part that you discussed. I think it's really, really important. You know, that's even the reason why, like you said, um, why things were in parables. Their, their hearts were so hard from uh, just always so focused on the law, on the doing, on the law, on the doing, that they couldn't see Messiah, they couldn't see Jesus. So I think it's, it's very crucial. So thank you very much. Who else? Two minutes on the clock. If we don't have a question, what have we learned tonight? before we, we pray. So next week, God willing, we will move into lesson three, which is the third parable. We've done two parables so far. Nobody? Nobody learns anything today? All right, let's pray. I trust that we all learn something. One of the key things you have to take home is that um, build your life on the foundation of the rock of God's word so that your fruits will not betray your confession. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for what we've learned. Lord, may we be for real Christians. May we be for real Christians. May we practice what we profess and confess. May our fruits not betray our confession. Lord, I pray in the spirit of humility, I ask that may we be for real, for real Christians. That by this, men will know that we are legit. We are real. And because of our realness, because of our authenticity, may we bring much fruit to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. God willing, we meet on Sunday. I'll see some of you guys on Sunday. Good night. God's blessing upon you and peace. Amen.